and I'm and I'm the old guy, uh, Brian Phil. It's, it's lovely to chat with you, mate. And and you're you're from Alabama, or you? I am, yes, definitely. Cool, yeah, great. yeah. I, it's one of the great thrills of my life. Is I love music, and we've been through to Muscle Shoals, Alabama, and I met Dan Penn that wrote Dark End of the Street. So you you're from a wonderful place. Really? Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Mate. It's a- that's right down the that's right down the road from us here over in Florence near that area there. That's right. Yes, yes. We actually stayed at a motel in Florence and we went down and had a look at Fame Studios. It was terrific. Well, anyway. listen, you two old coots. If it's all the same with you, I've got an interview to do. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> uh, Simon's just a young guy, mate. He, he and he doesn't understand the love of uh, southern music. But never mind. No, but I did go to New Orleans and I left two. two actually, nine days. I left nine days from this conference before Hurricane Katrina. Oh, really? So, yeah. So, that was, thank well, you. my goodness. Yeah, crikey. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Brian, let's let's rip into this. And, and again, we thank you very thank much. Thank you so, so much for your time. It's lovely. Thank you. You, you bet. You okay. Bet. This is News Talk ZB. Well, it's been half a century, and the words still ignite goosebumps. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. On July 20, 1969, Neil Armstrong stepped off a ladder onto the moon's surface and declared that famous phrase. As more than half a billion people tuned in across the globe in an astronomical feat, that certainly changed the world forever. Launching from Cape Kennedy four days early, uh, earlier, Apollo 11 carried Commander Neil Armstrong, Command Module Pilot Michael Collins, and Lunar Module Pilot Edwin Buzz Aldrin into orbit, and where man had certainly never been before. It was a moment for everyone, a gripping, nail-biting, glorious moment. And as we celebrate the 50th anniversary here in New Zealand tomorrow, it's a pleasure to be joined by Brian Odom, who's a historian at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center from the United States. Very good afternoon, Brian. Hey, great to be here. Great to be here. Thank you so much. Well, look, it's hard to believe it was half a century ago. Can I just ask you from the outset, how were the astronauts treated upon their return? Oh my goodness! Well, they were heroes beyond order. I think. I mean, they, you know, these these guys were fed it to the extreme. They, you know, they travel throughout the country. Uh, they they are they're fed it to you know they treated to a ticker tape parade in New York. They they go across the country giving speeches, meet the president. But after that, there's a world tour that they go on. They meet heads of state across the world and are just treated as, as celebrities of the highest order. So it's uh, they, there's definitely a special place for all those guys. <laughs> Has there ever been a reception for somebody or a group of people since that moment like that welcome home? That's a great question. I, I really can't imagine that there has been. I mean, right. you know, especially across the world. I mean, you know, there may be instances in American history where, you know, people uh, did something great and they come back and they, and they experience that in America. But to, to have that experience in America and mm. then be treated to that across the world, I, don't, I think that was probably unprecedented. Indeed. Now, Brian, how ambitious at the time was President Kennedy's mission to get man on the moon? Because back then it must have been seen as something that was basically virtually impossible to do yeah you're exactly right and i think really that's some of the appeal for kennedy himself right because kennedy's this young guy he's got this idealistic uh idea about who he is and about what the country should be and you know they're locked in a cold war with the soviet union so his idea is to do the greatest thing he can imagine to really make an impact uh, you know both at home and abroad and Landing on the moon seems to him to be something like that. I mean, it's it's something that you could really only imagine a young guy like 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 a like, like Kennedy doing at that time. So, you know, people around the agency, Kennedy had talked to people. He wasn't making this without any with any background information. Obviously, he's sure. talking to people in the agency at NASA. Mm. He's talking to people at Marshall Space Flight Center. You know, is this something that's possible? 
And once he gets the idea that it is, and he's willing to go with it, uh, and it's just it's an incredible it's incredible leap forward. They call it the space race, of course, because it was a, it was genuinely a race. The Russians were dead keen to get there. The sixties were a particularly unsettled decade. How did that moment change the United States and the world? Do you think? Well, it, you know, it, it really depends on how what your perspective is, because as you mentioned, the sixties were a a turbulent time both here in America and abroad. You know, really, really around the world. You know, in, in America, you had the civil rights movement early on. You had the yeah. women's rights movement. You had the Vietnam War that was going on. So, as, as the decade progressed, there's there's a lot of real turmoil going on. So, the Apollo program was really, you know, it, it always was this one thing that people could look at. And you know, while while we're in the background, we're politically divided. We're we're divided by all these things. There's this one program that 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 keeps us on. But you know, and still, a lot of people believe that maybe this wasn't something we should be doing. Maybe we should spend these resources somewhere else. But, you know, I think one of the things about this anniversary, you know, Apollo 11's landing, on that moment of the launch and the landing and the return, I don't think people were thinking about that. And that was and that was actually a big part of its appeal, right? For one minute as a world, we could be united in something that yes. this is the greatest thing humanity's ever accomplished. So. Yeah. It, it did have a huge impact in that way. Indeed. I mean, there's a kind of a purity about it almost, isn't there? Look, um, right at the moment, obviously, the world is thinking again, we all are, about because it is the 50th anniversary. But do you think interest in moon landings is still strong today? And as perhaps even there's a bit of a revival, it seems to us from over here in New Zealand, a bit of a revival in interest in it. Putting yeah, man on I the moon so. again. I mean, yeah, NASA's plan right now. Our our plan as an agency is to lead a movement that is that brings partnerships with it to go back to the moon by 2024. Mm. Uh, but this this can't be in the same model as Apollo. It, it can no longer be a one country against another or a government leading this. It's going to be, you know, private partnerships like people like uh, you know the the Blue Origins and the SpaceXs of the world, but. I always point to the International Space Station. The International Space Station is a success story that people forget about. For the past 18 years, we've had people living in mm. low-Earth orbit just yeah. every day. International commitments, uh, you know, just creating some of the greatest science that, that we've ever seen in, in, that, in that environment. And that's really the model for going back to the moon. You know, I mean, it's, if, if we're going to be sustainable there and make it something that's worthwhile, that, that's going to be the approach. And then, obviously, the next step is to go on to Mars. You know, if we're, if we're going to go land on Mars, I mean, that's, <laughs> to me, that's the thing that's going to get the attention like Apollo 11 did. If we, if we land human beings on Mars, people are going to take notice of that, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so, for sure. Well, look at Matt Damon's movie. It was really successful, and it was just a movie. So, you know, that's the interesting exactly. thing. Yeah, that's mate. the interesting thing, Brian, is, is I read somewhere that you're perhaps looking at the future as, as the moon being kind of a filling station, a fueling depot, if you like, to, to launch to Mars. So it's fascinating what we've got in mind. Can I ask you this question? Phil and I both, many years ago now, we were very fortunate and we interviewed Charlie Duke, who was a moonwalker. You'll be familiar with Charlie. And, um, mm-hmm. and we just loved, I was probably in awe of him in some yeah, respects because, totally. you know, sitting next to a man and, you, and he tells the story. I remember him explaining, when I asked him a very simple question, were you scared when the rocket blasted off? He said not one moment of fear entered his mind. And then he described what it was like to blast off. And the word he used, which really struck me, he said just an incredibly violent shaking in the capsule, a violent shaking. Now, I watched a wonderful documentary called In the Shadow of the Moon, and they talked about Neil Armstrong. He had the, the right stuff, they called it. Now, you'll know as a historian, am I right in saying that when that 
module was about to touch down on the moon. For the very first time, they didn't know whether it would sink into the dust. Neil's heart rate went down. It, right. So, so somebody that's, uh, you know, uh, going through this extreme environment, right? Somebody, but but there, there, it was there was to some degree we knew about the lunar surface because of you know there was a surveyor program that had told us uh, you know that yeah, we we've got some idea of what it's going to be like but for Neil to to take over that lunar module as it's as it's going yeah, as it's going to land to be able to respond to things he's actually seeing on the ground he sees before him a you know a crater the size of a football field he yeah. sees boulders the size of Volkswagens. He's, he, you know, he he knows that this is not where he can land. So he pushes forward and takes control. And, you know, you have to you have to ask yourself, you know, is this something that if there's not Neil Armstrong, the type of guy that he was, was this would this have been in a chance to an, to abort the mission? Yeah. Someone in control who's not steely nerves. And I think, you know, so you know, I, I, we can't really say because it just happened the way it did. But to you know, I I ask myself, you know, when I think about things like this during this anniversary, what if I were in that situation? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, but, uh, exactly. But, but yeah, Neil, Neil is somebody who's and it, to be such a low key guy. I mean, you know, the thing about Neil was when he comes back, you expect this is the greatest celebrity in the in human history almost, and he refuses it. He basically says, you know, I, I, you know, I, I'm not I'm not going to be a celebrity. I'm going to go and I'm going to teach air, you know aeronautical engineering, and I'm gonna I'm going to be low key kind of a guy, but. You know, so that, I think that speaks really to how enigmatic he is as a character here. Were they? Did they? Well, I know for a fact Charlie said to Phil and I he suffered a bit of. Oh, it might have been to me in that interview. He said that he suffered some depression afterwards because he said when you've walked on the moon, nothing else really comes close to <laughs> yeah, that moment, and so you cool. live the rest of your life kind of like not being able to ever recreate something. Would that be fair that they all experienced that? I, I believe that's true to, to a large degree. I mean, I think we see that both with the Apollo astronauts, and it, and it affects, I think, everybody. You know, you come to that experience, I believe, with with a different perspective on life anyway, and you leave it, obviously, with a different... You know, some people have a this religious experience with it, you know, and yeah. some people have just a, you know, an aesthetic, philosophical experience, and some people are just, that's the job that I was asked to do, and, you know, uh, so it, it just depends, really. But uh, for the space shuttle pilots, you know, the space shuttle astronauts the same way, right? They have this this experience of going to the, you know, to going to low Earth orbit, blasting off, and then returning. And yeah. what compares to that? I mean, yeah. you know, these guys drove Corvettes for a reason, right? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they were thrill seekers. They were thrill seekers. Look, last question from me, uh, please, Brian is what excites you? I mean, obviously you have a passion for this stuff, otherwise you wouldn't be the NASA's historian, but what excites you more, do you reckon? Manned missions to Mars being developed or the Artemis program, which might see humans actually living on the moon? Well, I think it's, I think it's obviously it's both. I mean, I, you know, because I, I see them very interlinked with each other because we've learned so many, over the last 50 years, we've learned so many lessons in low Earth orbit. Now we're going to go back to the moon and apply those lessons there. And the reason we do that is to learn how to live away from Earth because we're going to go to Mars, right? So they, these are all part of the same thing. And, you know, you want to see that process unfold. You want to see, and back on Earth, what can we expect? I mean, we're going to see the benefits of these things and new technologies that will revolutionize our lives that we can't even foresee right now. I mean, you know, think about the, the technology that you hold in your hand in a cell phone. And, and the, the the genesis of that, you know, in this Apollo world of new technologies that, you know, so I, I can't, you know, it's very, everything about this is very difficult. It's all very complicated. And the, and the 
challenges we'll have going to the to Mars are going to create a ripple effect back here on Earth. It's just fascinating. It's just, you know, and like you said, the passion that you have for NASA is that with just a small amount of resources, you know, really when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, we're rewriting science textbooks, not only for manned exploration, but, you know, for, for things like gravitational waves in the, in the universe around us. Uh, it's, it's in, every day is incredible. Brian, it's just been terrific to talk to you. I get gooseys talking to you about this stuff because I'm completely enamoured with oh, space, man. completely enamoured. I just am too gutless to ever consider get blasting off, mate. <laughs> because unquestionably the male and female astronauts are brave beyond measure, aren't they? Exactly. I mean, and that's, and that's the point, really. I mean, these are and, – and, and it's not just that they're brave. I mean, these are people willing to take these great risks. But think about the things that they have to know. Even, you know, if you want to talk about the Apollo people, they had to know – these vehicles inside and out so they could respond to all these different situations. So they're, they're renaissance fuel. They're, they're just, you know, yes. Buzz Aldrin is a orbital mechanics PhD from MIT university. You know, so he's, you know, he's, yeah. he's the brainchild behind this thing. So it is, it's incredible. It really is. Brian, what a treat to talk to you. All the very best celebrating the occasion. Thank you so much for your time. Hey, thank you so much. This has been incredible. Appreciate it. That is Brian Odom, NASA historian at the Marshall Space Flight Center with Seinfeld at News Talk ZB.